One of the hardest parts of life is wondering why things happen the way they do. Wondering why, why that death had to happen. Wondering why you feel alone. Wondering why that marriage ended. Wondering why they had to say that. Wondering why that diagnosis had to come. Why, why now? Or wondering why, why did, why did my car break again? Why do I need a roof now? Why? Why? One of the hardest parts of life is wondering why things happen the way they do and why things happen when they do. Because sometimes when we think about that and when we ponder that, it seems like life is unfair. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we get left asking those why questions, it can feel like God has checked out of checked out of our lives, can it? It can feel like we've become numb, like we're dead, like something, like nothing physically died, but something on the inside of us died. No matter how big or how small it is, when life gets frustrating, it can leave us numb, and it can leave us feeling like something died. In those moments, I think it's really important that we learn how to how to frame things, how to reframe things. Here, here's what I mean. Right now, there's a, there's a camera shot on me, isn't there? It's, I am what they would call in the frame. I'm in the frame of that camera shot. The whole purpose of that camera right now is so that people watching online can see me, so that y'all can see me. Really, what I'm saying is it's all about me right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the purpose of that camera shot right now is to have me in the frame. But if that cameraman isn't doing his job, and I, let's say I step over, I step over here. What's happened? I've stepped out of the frame, right? That camera shot no longer serves its purpose. That camera shot, we don't look at things the same way. It's lost its purpose. You can put it back on me now. <laughs> I didn't mean that pridefully. Here's, here's why I say that, because you and I as people, whether you're a believer in Jesus this morning or not, you and I, the purpose of our lives, the reason we were created, the reason we were born, the reason you still have breath in your lungs is because you were created to live life with Jesus in the frame. And what happens oftentimes is when those dead spots happen in our lives and when it feels like something died or when you get disappointed, what oftentimes happens is you become so concentrated on that thing that you allow Jesus to step out of the frame. And what happens when we cut Jesus out of the frame is we lose all perspective on the here and now and we also lose perspective on the there and then. So this morning, I want to... I want to help us kind of reframe life. My title this morning is Dead Ain't Always Done. I kind of wish I would have named it Reframe It, but Dead Ain't Always Done. We're going to be in John chapter 11. I just want to set up John chapter 11 before we, before we dive in. The chapter before John chapter 11, which for you biblical scholars, that's John chapter 10. Um, first service didn't get that either. I pre-planned that joke, and y'all didn't get it, but that's okay. So, John chapter 10, Jesus claims to be the Son of God, which was a big deal in the Jewish culture, because 
the Jewish, the Jewish people had been waiting on this Messiah. They had been waiting on the Son of God for a long time. And so the chapter before this, Jesus claims, I am he. Like, you've been waiting, but I am he. I am here. The Messiah, the Son of God is here. And so the very next chapter, Jesus, and I'm going to, spoiler alert, is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to perform not, not his last miracle, but what scholars would say would be the miracle that would ruffle the most feathers. Because think about it, chapter, John chapter 10, he's claimed, I am the Messiah, I'm the one you've been waiting on. If somebody claimed that to you, like, I'm the son of God, of course, like, that would be, you'd be like, whoa, what? And then John chapter 11, he's going to perform this miracle that backs it up. And see, it's important that, that the Messiah has power over death, which he's about to show, because if he's going to be the Savior, and he's going to raise from the dead, he's got to prove that he has power over death. And so the miracle that we're about to, about to walk through um, is one that ruffles the feathers of his enemies and his friends alike. His friends kind of draw closer after this, and his enemies kind of, the, the temperature begins to change around Jesus and in the Jewish culture because of, of what he's about to do. It's foreshadowing, of course, of what Jesus would later do himself, right? His physical death and his resurrection, which, by the way, if you're kind of new to the Bible, so much of the Old Testament and the New Testament is foreshadowing Jesus or is foreshadowing something that Jesus is going to do. And this is one of those miracles. Jesus is showing his power over death with this miracle. The emphasis of John chapter 11, the entire chapter is faith. As a matter of fact, the word believe is used eight times in this chapter alone. I think we've misconstrued faith in our culture today. What is faith? Well, what is faith not? Faith is not a feeling, right? Like some of you, you get goosebumps when you're in church and the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And right then you feel full of faith, don't you? The soldiers watched in vain. Y'all can try soldiers, but he's getting out, right? And so you got this feeling of, whoa, I'm gonna take on the world. I'm full of faith. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this thing, but faith isn't a feeling. You can have just as much faith at home, sitting in the bed. Faith also isn't the absence of doubt. Some of you this morning, you haven't put your faith in Jesus because you had some doubts and you felt like that disqualified you from having a relationship with Jesus. And what I want you to know this morning is faith and doubt can coexist. Faith isn't the opposite of doubt. As a matter of fact, doubt can often be the thing that makes you draw near to God and check it out and gain even more faith. I have faith that when I leave later and get in my truck, the truck's going to start, right? But if it doesn't, what am I going to do? I'm going to have it checked out, right? Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith also isn't a transaction. I think this is one the church has misconstrued itself. Some pastors, some people sitting on a platform have misconstrued faith and said that if you believe hard enough, that God will do exactly the, what you want him to do. And the problem with that is, what if he doesn't? The Bible does say it's in, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so faith is the vehicle for us to please God. But it doesn't say that God, is, that God will do everything you believe he, want, he will do. Because he knows, as we're about to learn, he knows even bigger. Faith isn't a transaction. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is me putting my trust. Its primary idea is trust. Me putting my trust in something that 
I believe but have never seen. Do you see why doubt's okay now? It's me putting my trust in something that I believe but I've never seen. So let's dive into this miracle of Jesus. Jesus' friend Lazarus, his BFF, his, his good old boy, is sick. Um, the place where Jesus was at the time was Bethabara. Not important that you know that. The place Lazarus was at the time was Bethany. They, these places were about 20 miles apart. And now back then, sure, that was a long trip, but it wasn't unheard of. So Lazarus is in Bethany. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, give, send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Jesus, your friend, your buddy, your family friend, Lazarus, he's sick. He's about to die. We need you to do something. Something needs to happen, Jesus. We need you to do something. How many of you have been there? Jesus, I need you to do something. Let's, Jesus, come on. I need you to do something. I need you to do what I want you to do. Let's go. You're running late. And so the Bible says that Jesus waits two days before he ever heads towards Bethany, where Lazarus is. By the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead four days, which is important because in Jewish culture, they would wait three days to pronounce you dead. So he's been dead four days before Jesus ever gets there. And here's something I want you to know this morning. Just because God lets something die in our lives doesn't mean he's done with our lives. Because here's Jesus' friend, right? Like, if, if I'm the savior of the world, and John 1, 1 says, I created everything and everything is in me. If I'm the savior of the world and my friend is sick, I'd be dogged if I'm going to let him die. But what we're about to learn is Jesus had a bigger plan. Jesus had something else in mind. And some of you this morning, you've been believing the lie that because some bad things happened to you, that God has checked out of your life and he doesn't care about you. Like any good parent, sometimes we have to choose the difficult because we see the end result. And so Jesus allows Lazarus to die. His BFF, his friend, it seems ridiculous when you're in that moment, doesn't it? We know the end of the story. We know Lazarus gets up out of the grave. But can you imagine, can you imagine the mood in this moment? Like, Jesus, you just claimed to be the son of God. But now you're sitting around? Why your friend is sick? And you let him die on your watch? See, I think in culture today, we have decided that we don't like pain. And we've reflected that onto God. And we think God's primary goal in our lives is to pamper us. When ultimately, God's primary goal in our lives isn't to pamper us, but it's to give us purpose. And so when things don't go our way, when something does difficult happen, and some of you, you have some, you have some things going on in your life right now, and I'm not dismissing your pain. Your pain is real. But what I'm saying is God has a higher purpose than just to pamper you. His purpose is, is, is relationship, and if he can get to that purpose, he will allow some things to happen. His goal is not to pamper us, it's to give us purpose, and he knows that the best place for us to be, because he's our creator, right? The best place for us to be is with him. So consider just for a moment, is what you're going through not a sign that Jesus has abandoned you, 
but instead a sign that he wants to draw closer to you. That thing that's dead, that bill that just came, that diagnosis that just happened, that relationship that just ended, that car that just broke down, that job you just didn't get the promotion for, could it be that that is not a sign that God's checked out of your life? Could it be that that's a sign that God wants to lean into your life? Lazarus is dead. And right now in this story, seems like God doesn't care. Seems like the Son of God doesn't care. So Mary sends word. She gets word that Jesus is finally on his way to Bethany. Finally, Jesus, what happened? Your camel broke down? He's finally on his way. And so she runs out to meet him. And let's pick it up in verse 31. John chapter 11. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Underline that if you have your Bible with your highlighted if you have an app. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When death happens, do you run to the tomb or do you fall at Jesus' feet? <laughs> the people that were beside Mary that day, they expected her to run to the tomb to mourn, what, to, to, to just face the facts, to mourn that God, you didn't show up. God, you didn't do what I thought you would do, so I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done with this thing. It's over. Take a knee. It is over. They expected her to run to the tomb, but what does she do? Because the tomb would have been the opposite way of Jesus. Instead, what she does is she doesn't do what they thought she would do. She doesn't run to the tomb. She runs to Jesus, and she falls at his feet. Where do you run when things don't go your way? Where do you run when death happens? Where do you run when you feel dead inside? Where do you run when you feel that loneliness? Where do you run when you need a relationship? Where do you run when it feels like something dies? They expected Mary to do what everybody else would have done and gone to the tomb, but instead, she's like, nope, I still know Jesus can do something. I'm running to the tomb. And do you know why, she, do you know why I believe she did that? Because she remembered what Jesus had already done for her in the past. You see, I'm a, a young guy still, but as I talk to people that are older than me and who have walked the faith for longer than I have, one of the things that they'll say is they'll say, I'm okay with it because God's always gotten me through it. I don't know how he does it, but I already know that dead, dead don't always mean done. He's gotten me through it in the past, and he'll get me through it again. Mary had seen Jesus perform some miracles already. She had been present for them. So when death happens, she doesn't run to the tomb. She runs to... Jesus, where do you run? It's the question of faith. Because a lot of us, for a lot of us, when things don't go our way, or when things seem like they're not going the way they should, we react differently. We get bitter. We deny God completely. We turn to coping mechanisms. We go shopping, even on our phone. We scroll through Facebook. We turn to other people, relationship after relationship after relationship. They assumed that Mary was going to the tomb to mourn, but instead she went 
to Jesus' feet. And just a side note here, if, you're, if, you, if, if, if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, and you are someone who considers themselves a person of faith, you need to know that faith doesn't deny reality. In other words, Mary isn't denying the fact that Lazarus is dead here. As people of faith, it's okay that we, that we come to reality. It's okay that we come to the reality of, yes, I am sick. Yes, that family member is sick. Yes, they, they are dead. Yes, that thing is dead. Yes, I can't make the payment. The thing that faith does is it doesn't deny reality, but it keeps Jesus in the frame as it walks through reality. I think sometimes in the Christian faith, there's, there's this idea that if I just deny reality and I don't say it is what it is, then I don't have to face it. Being a person of faith doesn't mean you deny reality. It just means you believe past reality. You keep Jesus in the frame of it. And so you pray, God, heal, heal them. God, you pray, God, give me that surprise check. God, work a miracle. But you see past that because you keep Jesus in the frame. You, you keep open to the fact that maybe he's doing something that you don't see yet. I think it's really cool that it says she f- fell at, at Jesus' feet. It doesn't say that when she runs up to Jesus, she gives him a hug, which I think that, that would probably be my answer, right? It doesn't say that she goes and she stands in front of Jesus. It says she leaves Bethany, she runs out to meet Jesus, and it's almost like it's all she can do to get to Jesus. But once she gets there, the Bible says she falls at his feet, falls at his feet and totally surrenders. It's almost like she said, Jesus, I'm going to make it to you even if I can't make it a step further. What do you do when life doesn't go your way? Because this is what Jesus wanted for Mary all along. She, he wanted her to surrender. Because when we surrender to Jesus and we fall at his feet, even in those places that seem dead and lonely and heartbreaking, when we fall at the feet of Jesus and surrender, what we're saying is, God, I'm putting you back in the frame and I trust that you know bigger than I do. The question is, will you surrender? Let's continue reading. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. It's like he didn't know, right? I mean, this is God. It's like, where did you lay him? You know, or you could know. Anyway, I just find it funny. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, if your scripture memory is bad and you want to memorize a verse, John eleven thirty-five. that's that last two words, Jesus wept. Done. Y'all welcome. You can found really sp- sound really spiritual tomorrow. I know two Bible verses. John 3.16, John 11.35. See? Jesus wept. But the reason that I point that out is it is the shortest verse in all of the Bible. But there's some people in here and you think that Jesus rejoices in your pain. 
there's some people in here and you've been, you've been persuaded and you've been convinced that Jesus doesn't care about what he hurts, that Jesus doesn't care about what dies in your life, that Jesus doesn't care. And verse 35 here is important because it says that Jesus doesn't dismiss our pain, but he dives into it with us. Did you hear that? Like, Jesus knows you're hurting. I want you to hear that this morning. Jesus knows you're hurting. He knows it hurts, and he doesn't like it either, but he sees the end result like you don't. He doesn't dismiss your pain. He doesn't want you to feel pain. He doesn't, he's not out to get you. It's just that he loves you so much, he wants you to walk in your purpose, and the only way to get there is if you walk with him in the frame, and he knows that. Don't think that God is sitting up there on his throne, and he is clapping as you feel your pain. He's hurting with you. Those tears you cried last night, all alone in your bed, he was crying with you. That pain you felt when you got that phone call, he was crying with you. He would never dismiss your pain like an uncaring father, but he dives into it with you. Verse 36, then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not, he, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? How many times have you asked that question? God, could you not have done something? Like Mary's saying, God, she's got to be thinking, Jesus, could you not have gotten here sooner? Like it's getting late. What these people are saying, the naysayers are saying, we've seen him open the eyes of the blind. Was that a fluke? Because couldn't he have done something here too? This is his friend. His BFF has died. Couldn't he have done something? How many times have you asked that question? God, couldn't you have done something about this? Couldn't you have made a move? Couldn't you have even like thrown me some sort of bone here and helped me out? God, couldn't you have gotten me out of that? When we do that, we're not questioning his power. We're questioning his ways. We're not questioning his character either. We're questioning his ways. The key for those of us that are believers is that we're always more consumed with who he is rather than what he does. We have to know that Jesus loves us even when he doesn't do what we thought he would do. Because sometimes it doesn't make any sense. But he is a loving father he sees the end result like we don't i think i've told this story before but when our little boy he's five now when he was about two years old first getting really really mobile um melissa and i one day i don't i don't know where we were um but he had gone missing for a couple of minutes and so we um i went to go go look for him and when i get to the kitchen he's sitting under the the kitchen sink under the kitchen sink, even before he was born, we had like a block of knives, kitchen knives, that were kind of over to the side. We, of course, we're not terrible parents. Don't judge me. I can see the look in y'all's face right now. Y'all don't judge me. Anyway, we, had, we just haven't thought about the knives because they were kind of over and you couldn't really see them. They were kind of between two cabinets. We haven't thought about these knives since like years ago, even before he was born. And so I walk into the kitchen and he is sitting under the sink by the counter and he literally has two of these knives by the blade 
and he is just waving them like this with the biggest grin on his face, singing a song like he is so happy. Meanwhile, he has these knives by the blade. And so my first thought is they're going to arrest me. The second thought is, is I've got to do something about this. And so me being the level-headed father that I am, I thought, Jonathan, I said, yes. I said, you can't just pull those knives out of his hand because if you do, they're going to, they're going to slice his hand open. So I guess it was the Holy Spirit told me that. So I walk over to him. Meanwhile, he's still. And so I grab his arm with my left arm, with my left hand, and I, with my right hand, I, I grab his hand, and I just slowly start to pull his fingers away from this knife. And I pull one knife out, put it up on the counter where he can't reach it. We move the knives later, by the way. I take his other hand, pry his fingers off, take the knives from his hand, and as soon as both knives come out of his hand, what does he do? <laughs> right? Because I took something that he desperately wanted. But why did I take it? Because I knew that it would hurt him. Some of you this morning, you think that God is taking something from you because he wants to kill your joy and take your fun. And I am here to tell you that God cares more about you than pampering you. He cares more about you than you always get in your way. He cares about relationship with you, and he will always sacrifice what we want for what's best that he says is best. Some of you, you you're holding knives this morning, and when he starts to rip them out, just remind yourself, when he ends that relationship that wasn't good for you in the first place, or when you don't get the promotion because he has another job for you down the road. Just remember, God isn't after pampering. He's after your purpose. God does what's best, not what we prefer. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I think it's kind of cool. I know this is just where they buried people, but that it was a cave. Because when something dies, when those hard times come in our lives, isn't that the way it often feels? It feels dark. It feels cold. It feels lonely. Verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. That means exactly what you think it does. Husbands, this is like your wife saying, turn on the bathroom fan and shut the door. <laughs> then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Those last few words, some of you, that's what God is telling you. He's saying, don't give up yet. Did I not tell you a long time ago? Did I not promise in my word that I would never leave you or forsake you? Did I not tell you? That I, that I would work all things to the good of those who love me? Did I not tell you? If you just keep believing, keep holding on, I know right now it feels like things are falling apart, and it feels like things are up in the air, and it feels like I don't care, but if you will just believe, you will see the glory of God. Hang on, and the glory of God doesn't mean my wants. It means me walking in my purpose, and when I walk in my purpose, I walk in joy and hope and peace because I want Jesus in the frame more than I want what I want. He's telling some of you this morning, don't give up on me yet. Don't give up on me yet. 
Don't give up on me yet. Just keep believing. You don't have to be perfect, but keep believing. Keep trusting me. Keep me in the frame. Quit looking at your situation and look at me. Hang on. Some of you, that's what you came for this morning because you needed to hear that. You needed to hear hang on. That you will see the glory of God. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Which, by the way, oftentimes Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins, but he was also setting a pattern for our lives. And so a lot of the things you see Jesus do throughout Scripture, he's trying to teach us and the people that were with him in that day. This is, this is the way you live a godly life. Um, where was I? Oh, Jesus, oh, I think, <laughs> verse, verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what they thought was Jesus being too late ended up being just another point on God's perfect plan and perfect purpose. What they thought was Jesus not caring, not caring about their pain. What they assumed was too late. Jesus said, no, I'm right on time. It fits inside my plan. It fits inside my purpose. What if you're going through some dead things in your life because God wants to breathe new life into something else? What if parts of your life are dying? Because God wants to breathe life into something else. Because he has something new. Because he has something that you don't see it yet. But until that thing dies, you won't be able to get to what he has next. Dead don't mean done. I think it's interesting that Lazarus came out of the grave, but it says that his grave clothes were still on. Sometimes I miss the blessing of God because it's not packaged like I thought it would be. So if Jesus is going to perform this miracle, my assumption would be that he's the son of God, man. Why, just get him out of the grave and unwrap him yourself, right? If you're going to do the miracle, do the whole thing. Jesus could have literally said, and the grave clothes could have fallen off. But instead, Jesus tells the people that are with him, now take off his grave clothes. I wonder how many of us this morning are missing the blessing of God because it doesn't look like we thought it would look. And maybe God is doing something in your life and you've been pushing back on it because it wasn't what you wanted or it wasn't what you had in mind or it didn't fit with your timeline and you've been pushing back on it. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a job offer. But you've been pushing back on it because it didn't look like you thought it would look. A couple of years ago, I ordered an iPad off of Amazon, and it wasn't, like it was just like a, like a refurb, so it wasn't in the original box. 
So when it shows up at the door, it looks like any other Amazon package, right? But what's inside of it is like $700. Now, if I would have just thrown that out or just left it on the front step, thought, hey, I can get it next week. I can get it tomorrow because it looks like any other package, right? Sometimes we miss the value that God has for us because it doesn't come in the package we thought it would. Jesus says, take off his grave clothes. Watch how this continues to play out. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Do you see how that came full circle? Like, just, just assume for a moment that, go back to the beginning of the story. What if, what if Jesus, when he gets word about Lazarus, because he's Jesus, could have literally snapped his fingers and Lazarus could have been healed, or, or even once they came and delivered this message to Jesus, what if Jesus ran to Lazarus, ran the 20 miles, and healed him before he even died? Would these end results have been the same? I don't think so. And sometimes things are happening in a different order than you thought they would, and they're not happening like you wanted them to, and they're not lining up the way you thought they would line up. And the, and, and, and the important thing is, and the reason they're doing that is because Jesus has companionship, not comfort in mind. These people believed in Jesus. They became in a relationship with Jesus because of what God allowed to happen to Lazarus and because of the, G, the miracle that Jesus performed here. Just because I can't understand it doesn't mean God's not in it. Would you really want a God that you could always understand? If I'm, if I'm the smartest person in the room, if I'm the smartest person in the universe, there's a problem with that universe. Like, some of y'all are probably a lot smarter than I am, but if I am like the most powerful and the smartest thing in the universe, there's a problem. Like, I think the fact that God doesn't always do things exactly the way I want to, it shows his, his intelligence. It shows that there is something bigger, smarter, with a bigger plan than me. Just because I can't understand it doesn't mean God's not in it. So, let's get back to the camera shot. Right now, I'm in the frame. That camera is serving its purpose. What a life walked out with Jesus in the frame looks like is it looks like no matter where I go, I keep Jesus in the frame. Notice that camera shot's not failing. It's keeping its purpose. It's keeping me in the frame. It's looking at its situation through the correct lens. When we walk in relationship with Jesus and we begin to reframe our lives, things look differently because we keep Jesus in everything. And so we don't just look at a situation, but we look through the situation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. you're in here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that he's not done with you. He has something so much bigger planned for you. So maybe this morning you just feel like there's something missing. 
kind of feel dead inside. Maybe it's not that something in your life has died, but it's you feel like your soul has died. Maybe you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can pray something like this. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it to yourself. God, I need purpose. God, I want to reframe my life. I want to put you in it. I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to live up to a standard, and I can't do it. So I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life, and I'm going to follow you as best I can. I don't even know what that looks like yet, but my life is no longer my own. In Jesus' name. For the rest of us in this room, with your eyes still closed, I want you to just imagine for a moment, whatever that, whatever that dead thing is, and I would think that some of you thought of it when I said it at the beginning of the message, but it felt too small. It's not. Maybe it was a disappointment. Maybe things just didn't happen, didn't go exactly the way you wanted them to. And maybe you even feel bad about feeling like that. But I want you to think about that situation just for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, in that particular situation, what is God doing so that I can see his hand at work? What could God be doing that even though it doesn't make sense right now, he's still working his plan? God, thank you so much for this church. God, what an incredible group of of people. Lord, thank you that we get to do what we do. Thank you that we get to stand up here on a stage and lead worship or or preach your word or whatever it might be. God, thank you that you use us. God, I pray for every person sitting in a chair this morning, whether disappointment's there now or if it's coming this week, it'll be there soon. God, let them reframe it. Let them see your purpose and your plan and work in it. God, let them not be so fixated on the problem that they miss their Savior. God, you were at work. You love us. Thank you for loving us even when when we doubt you, even when we don't understand you. God, we trust you. In Jesus' name.